0: Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for watching the channel. And for those listening to the podcast, I greatly appreciate that as well. We're going to take a look this week at VF Corporation. Now, VF Corporation owns Vans Shoes, uh, Timberland, Jansport, the backpack company, Icebreaker, uh, other clothing brands, Dickies, Jeans, uh, a lot of key brands. The company's traded at a premium for a long, long time as a result of the fanfare, Recently, the stock price has fallen from $100 down to $30. It's a 70% decline in the value of this company in the last uh, year and a half. Let's take a look at how much cash money VF Corporation makes. And if we bought it today and held it for a decade, would we beat the market? Ready? Let's get to work. Alright, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, this channel is dedicated to the rational cash flow investor. That's what we're trying to understand. All businesses are the sum of future cash flows. We want to figure out if a company is qualified for greater due diligence. That's basically why we use the five key attributes as a starting point for further diligence. And those five key attributes are as follows. Number one, top-line revenue growth. We want to see that growing or a 10-year period of time. Number two, earnings. EBITDA should be growing as well. Number three, strong free cash flow. We want a company with low debt, less than three times net debt to EBITDA. And you want a stock that's well-priced. What is a well-priced stock? Well, a well-priced stock is a stock that, with a conservative forecast, is expected to beat the market. That's the idea here. You want a stock that's reasonably priced to give you some cushion so that if the market takes a dive, A, you still have underlying cash flow that you can rely on, but B, if the stock price goes up, you can make upside return. All right, let's dive into the numbers on uh, VF Corporation. So first things first, behind me is eight, nine years of data on VF Corporation. Now, VF Corporation, their fiscal year ends March 31st. So you'll notice here they've already filed their 2022 fiscal year. It's basically March 31, 2022 and prior. I'm filming this as of January, so the March 2023 numbers haven't come out yet, but we have a pretty good indication based in the last couple quarters they've already filed where 23 is going to land. What I want to start with is revenue. For revenue for this period of time from 2014 to 2022 has been flat. So this is a 9-year period. They had 11.8, 11.9 billion dollars of top line revenue in 2014 and that has been flat. I'll just kind of walk you through the lineage here. 11.9, 11, 11, 8.4, 11.5, 10.2, 10.5, 9.2 And $11.8 billion of revenue, which is basically flat leading up to the pandemic, in the pandemic, and then afterwards. EBITDA, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. This is is earnings before interest cost. So as interest rates rise, a fully leveraged company, a a fully burdened company will have lower earnings, but we want to put that aside. We have our own measures for leverage that we're going to cover in a second. This is just earnings before that and you add back depreciation amortization because I want to look at the cash earnings if I did not reinvest in the business. We cover CapEx and the cash flow statement later but this is just kind of a, a precursor to all that. You should be able to have, you should have growing EBITDA. You can see here EBITDA is negative by 1% on an annualized basis for this nine-year period of time. We start at slightly over $2 billion of earnings in 2014 and that stays really uh, flat for a couple years, 1.9, 1.8, and then takes a pretty good hit, 1.1 in 2017, 1.7, 1.5, 1.6. That brings us to kind of the pandemic. Then there was a drop in the in the in the kind of the post-pandemic earnings, and most recently they had 1.9 million, uh, excuse me, billion of earnings, which brings them back up to the two billion that they had in 2014 when we started this time frame. So their earnings are really really flat. This is saying minus 1% but it's essentially zero as with revenue. So margins have stayed the same but they have been unable to grow revenue or earnings at the corporate level for almost a decade. Uh, that's one of our hallmarks that we want to see at the, uh, the, at the Cashflow Club that I run as well as just on this channel with the five key attributes. You want to be able to grow revenue and grow earnings. So I think that's an issue here for me. Let's take a look at enterprise value. Now, enterprise value, as I always say in this channel, is what you want to look at. That is market cap plus debt. And in this case, the company has debt. It actually has quite a lot of it. So debt, what do we, how do we calculate debt? Debt is uh, the current portion of long-term debt and capital leases as well as the long-term portion of long-term debt and capital leases. What is current portion? What is long-term? Basically, current portion means due this year. Long-term is everything after a year. Why does it matter? Well, think of if you have a mortgage payment, if your mortgage payment is obviously due this month, you've got a couple more months for the end of the year, uh, you have to make all those payments. You can't just look at the long-term section of the liabilities. You need to look at what's currently due within the the year, even if that payment is related to a very long-term loan like a mortgage. So you want to look at long-term debt at the current portion and capital leases. Capital leases are... Uh, equipment or buildings uh, that they have leased rather than buying outright. That's still an obligation they need to do. So here we go, po- uh, $1.4 billion of leverage in 2014 when we start this period, which is actually not that bad leverage. In that year, they made $2 billion and they had less than one times earnings, debt-to-earnings of, of uh, $1.4 billion of leverage. But now watch this leverage grow over time, 1.4, 1.9, 2.3, 2.9, 3.7, 2.8, 5.2, 7.4, and $6.8 billion of of debt. So they've grown debt at 21% annualized rate over these nine-year period of time when revenue and earnings have been flat. That is extremely concerning. Now, they do have some excess cash. They borrowed and they, they held some cash fine. It looks like they borrowed to get through the pandemic. There's kind of a spike here from $2.7 billion to $5.2 billion in 2020 right when the pandemic happened. That is okay. That happens. Businesses at an at a, at a, at a, at a unknown shock like a pandemic will draw on their borrowing lines of credit before banks cut them off. Because uh, banks cancel lines of credit. It's in the fine print that they could do so. Even if you've signed an agreement, they can still cancel the agreement. So companies will draw. And me as a CFO, I would do the same thing. If I have an open line of credit, I would draw the money. I don't have to spend the money, but I want the cash in case I need to buy time for the pandemic being longer. So I totally understand why they borrow the money. Problem is, That's not sitting in excess cash. So they spent the money. And if I look over the last couple years, debt has actually grown. So they didn't pay it back after they realized the pandemic is ending, after sales continued to rebound. They held the debt. They spent the debt. So now they owe the money they borrowed, but earnings have not grown. That is a waste of borrowed money. And it's a concern of mine. Uh, So that is a leverage. Let's, Let's excess cash I covered. They've got about a half a billion dollars of excess cash. Market cap is relatively flat. It's in a complete full cycle over this nine-year period. They started this period at $25 billion of market cap, went to 30, 25, 20, 27, 32, 21, 31, now 22. So they started at 25 in 2014, billion dollars of market cap, and they ended this last fiscal year in March at $22 billion uh, down 2% on average over this eight year period of time. That's not a great track record. So market caps declining over two over nine, uh, nine years, revenue and EBITDA are flat and debt is increasing. Enterprise value as a result is up 1% because of the debt has, growth. Let, has grown. Let's take a look first at the net debt ratio. So remember we looked at EBITDA, which is a measure of earnings that does not have interest cost. We wanna look at debt ratio now to figure out to make sure they're not tripping, they're not getting too highly leveraged for how much earnings they make. And like I said earlier, if I take net, net debt divide by EBITDA, I get a ratio, how many years of operating do they need to generate to pay off all their debt. It's a great measure and you want less than three times. Banks, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citibank, Chase, um, these big banks will give senior loans, meaning first position collateral loans, on companies for three times earnings. EBITDA is generally what they use Uh, regardless of what Buffett says just the industry is geared around EBITDA. We'll look at free cash flow in a second but EBITDA is three times. Above that four, five, six times you get junior money. Junior money is higher interest rates. We're talking usually two to five to seven percent more than the junior money. Above that you're talking 10, 11, 12 times earnings or kind of infinite if your if your uh, earnings are negative and you have lots of debt that becomes mezzanine financing, which is a hybrid between equity and debt financing where they start taking warrants, they start taking um, uh, shares in the company. There are convertible pieces where you can convert debt into large chunks of equity. It gets very, very interesting depending upon... Uh, it, it's much more equity-like the, the more leverage the business becomes. And all of that, all of that is in front of... Of you and I should the company go into bankruptcy those people will be paid and you and I will lose out. We're going to see a lot more bankruptcies coming here in the next uh, in this next year with interest rates being as high as they are it takes a long time for that debt to be reflected in the earnings of companies and the struggling businesses are not going to be able to get cash that they need and they are going to go under. We're going to see more of this but let's I digress let's keep going. So where were they nine years ago. Well, they had earnings and debt basically one to one, 0.7 times. Then it goes to one, 1.3, 2.5, 2.3, 1.8, 3. 3. Here's the pandemic. So it it, it almost doubles from 1.8 to three times leverage, seven times leveraged uh, in the pandemic. Now they're at 3.3. So earnings have come up. We'll talk about that earnings in a second. Earnings have come up. 3.3 is above our mark. Also, the last couple years, they've been at or above that mark. So I think this, for me, is too risky of a leveraged position, and it doesn't check the box in my in my opinion. Let's take it relative. Let's take a look at another key metric here: relative value, enterprise value divided by EBITDA. What is that as a relative metric? Metric? It says here's the entire value of the business, and I divide that by how much earnings the company makes on an annual basis. And that basically tells me how many years of forward earnings I'm paying by buying this business. And you can see that this this business trades at a shockingly high premium for the type of business that it is. Now, back in 2014, you could pay 13 times for this business, which in my opinion is a very reasonable number to pay for uh, a retail business like, uh, like Vans, um, like Timberland, those, those brand names are very um, reasonably priced at a 13. And it grows 17, 15, 20 times, 19, 23 times, right? So then, then you start getting in the really high growth multiples of 20, 25 times for, for a business that is not growing. <clears throat> 17 times as, as, um, as earnings uh, spike. Earnings come down, right? A lot. Two years ago, it was, it was um, down a billion dollars. Earnings were, yeah, one billion dollars. So the multiple spiked up. Value stayed high because there's a lot of free money in the in the market. Everyone's still euphoric because this market's never going to end. Party, we're going to the moon. Meanwhile, earnings are falling. That means multiple goes up. Forty x is a huge red flag for this business. Zero growth, fully leveraged. 40 times earnings. That, that right there is an indication that if you're in the stock, it is going to collapse. And sure enough, it starts falling. So now it instantly, well, I had to take that. We'll get to the collapse in a second. But what happens is earnings, it's rebound to $1.9 billion. And the multiple flat comes back down to reality at, at 15 times. So this is our average is 20 over this period of time. I'm really looking for more of this 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 pre-pandemic era, the, the first five or six years in our time from, from 2014 to say 2020, where you're at 13, 15, maybe 19 times earnings. That multiple is high, but it's not as high as some of these outliers at 40 times. If I went too quickly there and you want to learn more, I do teach a course on investing. I highly recommend you read it. Um, you can check out the link in my description below, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where you can find the, uh, the investing course. Okay, let's dive through the free cash flow of this business and figure out what, what really is going on with this, with this company. So adjusted free cash flow. I've made a couple j- adjustments, but I'm pulling the cash flow from operations line, which is the first third of the, ba- of the cash flow statement. Right There's three sections to the cash flow statement. Uh, the first third, cash flow from operations, it's typically bolded on the statement. The next third, the middle section, is cash flow from investing. Again, it's bolded. The final one, cash flow from financing. You add all those three up and you get the full change in cash for the year. So they started in 2014 with $1.7 billion of cash. This is pure cash. This is not earnings, which can be um, kind of adjusted Or have non cash items. This is cash that washed through their. Uh, their their bank account and what I like about focusing on cash is the auditors can go to their bank and say hey bank, hey JP Morgan how much cash does VF Corporation have on the balance sheet right now? JP Morgan will say truthfully it's this much and they'll say thank you. They can they can check the box without having a third party. On the income statement, the income statement is subject to gap but that gap interpretation is largely dependent on what management believes in terms of amortization schedules, revenue recognition policies, uh, Cog's adjustments. There are things they can do to move the needle here or there. But cash, cash is cash. So back to the cash flow. So 1.6 billion, 1.7 billion, 2014, and it comes down 1.1, 1.4, 1.4, a loss of 1 billion dollars in cash in 2018, comes back. That's a one-time issue. Comes back 1.5 billion, 2019, 800 million, 2020, 1.2 and 1.15 in 2022. Now that $1.15 for this recent year of 2022 I uh, has some adjustments in it. The actual number was $800 million, but I've added back to, there were 770000000 million, I've added back to that $380 million for a one-time inventory adjustment that I'm going to make and I'll explain that when we deep dive into the cash flow in a second but i want to finish the historical view and then we can dive a bit more. What this says, it says it's a, a loss on average of 4% per year on a free cash flow basis on a cash flow from operations basis which dovetails to the earnings the EBITDA number of a minus 1%. So I think now earnings and cash flow are lining up and I think you're what you're seeing here is you're seeing a business that is not being able to grow and is struggling a little bit on the on the cash generation as well. Capex capex is what they put back in the business. So these guys make shoes, they make Backpacks, clothing, this is them reinvesting in their factory lines. <clears throat> it is putting new conveyor systems in, new sewing machines, painting the building, infrastructure, new IT systems, all that kind of stuff. And last year, or rather all, all of this entire time, they spend about a quarter of a billion dollars a year. In 2014, they spent $234 million in CapEx. They trimmed it a little down to a low of $140 million in 2017 when earnings were coming down a bit. And then it's grown to $245 million last year. Um, All in all, it's basically flat over this period of time, which is in line with earnings, which is in line with revenue. So I think they're continuing to invest into the brand, into the systems to keep the machine running. But they don't seem to be able to do anything to move the ball higher on revenue, EBITDA, others. They don't seem to be going out and acquiring big brands that are moving the needle. The brands themselves are doing okay. But in this crazy landscape of ours where anybody uh, can start a new brand, I think the value of a brand alone is a lot less than it used to be. used to be Coca-Cola was Coca-Cola and everybody um, drank a Coca-Cola and their sales continued to grow as Coca-Cola rolled over the world. Fine. But now at this time when you can start an online business and you can go to an OEM and you can say, hey, I want you to produce a soft drink for me. I'm going to call it Cameron's Coca-Cola and go to Canva, have them mock up a beautiful design for you, slap it on your product, zip it over to Amazon for FBO services and distribute globally and you're at your home on your laptop knocking out some cash. I mean, that is competition to... Coca-Cola, And what we're seeing in this world, and in my opinion, is we're seeing the kind of microization, if I can invent a word randomly, uh, of brands. And while my Cameron Coke in this example is not a threat to Coca-Cola, I am one of millions of other people doing specialty brands for very niche markets. And when you add up all those people, it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts. Coca-Cola is unable to grow. Much like you're saying when you look at my review on this channel, I look at 10 years of Coke and Coke's earnings are flat for 10 years. Revenue and EBITDA. Well, EBITDA. Revenue they may able to grow, but EBITDA is flat. Why? Because they have to pay up to acquire businesses as Coca-Cola is slowly being eroded by people starting new brands. And jeans, t-shirts, shoes are nothing different. So I think brand identity is less valuable. I'm going on a tangent. But I think it's important to realize that this company cannot rest on its laurels. It must be acquisitive. It must go out and buy the up-and-coming brands to be able to offset what is kind of a slow, stagnating uh, portfolio. Uh, There are lots of companies that do this, however, like Monster Beverage does it. uh, Estee Lauder does it beautifully. There are a lot of companies that are able to do this and trade at multiples like this. Uh, Sam Adams did it with Truly, although the Seltzer business, they got a little aggressive with the multiples, but there are a lot of companies that can do this and do this well. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm seeing the indications here given the multiples that we're paying, but let's keep going. All right, that was a long, long tangent. I apologize for that, but I, I thought it was important. Debt service is the next thing of the uh, the three statements, right? So in their debt service, they paid half a billion dollars, 500 million in debt service. We know that the company's over leveraged so they need to be buying down debt. And I think this number of minus 500 million is something that they need to do going forward to bring down that multiple. If they can't grow earnings, then they have to use their free cash flow to pay down debt because they are too highly leveraged. When I add those all up, I get free cash flow to equity. That's you and I. That's what The business is valued on for us free cash flow to the enterprise and last year that number was 400 million dollars the previous year it was four billion Uh, that's because they borrowed three three billion dollars and the prior year to that it was a billion so this this number is all over the place and I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust it in a second so we can kind of look at what this normalized number looks like but it's not going the way we want it to go the other thing here that I, that, that, that I want to point out the number of shares. The number of shares started at 440 million for the period and have decreased very nicely over this period of time and you want to see that this is something we want to see. It's dropping 1% on average a year. Most recently they had 392 million shares. That's down almost 50 million shares or about 10% over this period of time which is excellent. You want a company that's taking free cash and buying back shares. I give some other metrics here. You can see behind me free cash flow per share, uh, free cat uh, and stock price itself, and a yield. What I want to get to is a, an adjusted number. So if we look at CapEx, excuse me, if you look at adjusted cash flow operations, and we look at CapEx and just subtract, just net those two. I'll show you here on the on the screen. For those listening, I'll describe it along. So I've got last year they made 1.15 billion dollars of cash. Noting. I've removed or I've added back the cash they invested in their inventory for the inventory repurchase they had to do post-COVID. So that piece aside, they made $1.1, $1.2 billion of operating cash. Very nice number. Then they peeled back off that a quarter million, 250, $250 million of cash. So what that leaves them is about $800 million of cash before debt service, okay, before debt service. If I divide that by the number of shares of three hundred and ninety-two million, I get a cash flow per share of two dollars and thirty-one cents. I do that for the previous year, previous couple of years and average them because they're all over the place I want a nice average that I can use when I forecast and I'm going to use $2.09 that's the last three years with those adjustments going forward let's dive into the cash flow statement there's something here I want to really point out before we forecast which I think you're going to really like and it's a lesson that I learned before valuing this business all right, let's take a look at the cash flow statement. Now, I'm going to describe this for those listening on the podcast. I'm at the VF Corporation's 10K for 2022. You can download it on their webpage. I'm on page 65 of the actual PDF. Now, cash flow itself always begins with net income. And you, that's the bottom of the income statement. And you make changes to the net income to come up to cash flow for the operations. And you can see, I was quoting it earlier, 840, 864 Million dollars of cash flow from operations uh, for the period. And then in here is the inventory adjustment of 380 million. That's a negative number because they invested. Positive numbers on the cash flow payment are inflows, pure cash coming in. Uh, Negative numbers are are cash going out. So a negative on inventory is them buying inventory. I want to adjust that. That's how I get that 1.1 billion number. If I look at the prior couple years, cash flow from operation 1.3 and uh, $874 million. Now, one thing I wanted to point out, accounts receivable here, $200 million negative number. Uh, This is interesting. This means that they booked revenue of $200 million that they did not get cash for. If you book revenue for $200 million that you don't have cash for, most of that's going to roll through on the income statement and it's going to appear in earnings. That EBITDA number of $1.9 billion that we had is going to have an extra $200 million in it. So our earnings, I think, are overstated a little bit on a cash basis for this $200 million. You notice in prior periods you don't see adjustments that large. I think this is management pressuring sales teams to make sales and then agreeing to terms on their vendors for future actual payments so they can, get the ca- they, can, 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 they can book the earnings and hit their earnings estimates. So I think that for me is kind of a little off. Um, other things I thought were basically fine in the cash flow operations. Uh, let's go through and look at CapEx. So we, we know that they make about a billion, 1.1 billion of cash flow uh, each year for the last couple years. You look at your CapEx right here, quarter billion dollars, quarter, quarter million dollars, uh, no, nope, quarter billion, 250 million on an annual basis. So uh, 1.1, uh, $1.1 billion less a quarter billion is about $800 million of cash flow after CapEx. Now what do they do with it? They have to pay debt service, they have to buy back stock, and they have to pay a very very healthy dividend. This company right now has a dividend yield of almost 8%. We want to make sure they can afford that dividend if we're buying the stock for the dividend year. And this is what this is the very important part that I learned when looking at this company. Remember $800 million of cash basically comes down to here after cash flow operations less CapEx. Now what do they do with it? Well they have to pay debt service plus dividends and and share repurchases and you can see this right down here where it says uh, repurchase of shares 350 million dividend cash paid dividend 772 million dollars so their cash dividend is 773 million dollars that's basically all of their free cash flow is the dividend never mind debt service which we know they have to pay, never mind the the stock buybacks that they have been doing. So if I take $773 million of dividend, which you need to maintain if you're a dividend producing stock, investors need you to keep that going, otherwise the stock price is going to fall as they'll sell out of it. So that is a kind of a, a benchmark cost that they must pay out. Then above that $350 million of stock buyback, to keep that 1% chipping away on stock buybacks, they need to pay that. That's over a billion dollars. So that's 1.2, 1.1 billion. Then debt service. They paid $500 million in debt service last year. They can't afford this. I guess that's the point here. With $800 million of free cash after CapEx, all of that goes to dividend. There's nothing left to pay on the debt. And you can see that because they borrow money and that's why the debt, that's why the debt, Um, balance over this period of time has grown is because they've got themselves hooked on a very high dividend that they're paying out for the last couple years. Investors are saying, this is awesome. I love this dividend. Thank you. Uh, That's why their multiple is up, right? That's why the multiple is 15, 16, 20 times because people are willing to buy for that price. However, if they can't sustain that dividend and they cut the dividend, the multiple on this business is going to fall dramatically. Now it's time to forecast the earnings. Now, when I looked at the management presentations on their website, they had a 5 to 6% revenue growth for their 2027 strategic plan. Now, that was filed in September of 2021, mid-COVID. They were still saying they're going to grow at 5 to 6% revenue, knowing that revenue growth had not been that high at all in the last decade. Now, their most recent statement, A, they're changing management, B, They've cut in half the growth. Now they're saying one, uh, 2 to 3% annual growth rate for this year. I still think that's a stretch for them. So what I've done is I'm doing a zero growth rate. And because they had zero growth for the prior nine years, I'm going to hold zero growth for the forward net, uh, 10 years and not believe management's growth story. And I'm going to make this stock come to me with a 0% growth rate before I buy it. So 1.9 million billion billion of, of EBITDA. This 1.9 is probably a little high, they, they'll probably come in 1.6 for, the, um, for, for, for this coming fiscal year, but I want to put, I, I'm just running with 1.9 uh, long term anyway so that's pretty much where they need to be. If I look at the market multiple, <clears throat> this 17 to me seems really risky. I would give this stock a single digit multiple given the no growth and high debt, however Historically they do trade high. People like the brands so it's trading high. We'll get to exposure and risk here in a second. But I'll give it 17 times. The 17 times market multiple is the average of the pre-COVID period of time. That gives me a market cap of uh, $26 billion. I divide by the shares outstanding of $394 million and I get a price target of $67.90 for VF Corporation out 10 years from now. Now our free cash flow valuation is basically the same thing. I had a $2.09 number, which is the average of the last free cash flow, uh, last three years of free cash flow they produced uh, without debt service. I'm growing that at zero and I'm going to apply a yield of 4.8%, which is the same average I was using for the EBITDA, but just for the yield. And I get $43.32 for the price target out 10 years for VF Corporation. Okay, now we can look and see what the price... the stock is after we have a valuation. I kind of gave it away early on when I said that there's a $30 a share. It is, but mainly because it's come down from $100 a share previously. So what does that mean? At $30 a share, the stock right now is an $18 billion market cap. Forward EBITDA is $1.9 billion, which means I'm trading at a single-digit market multiple of nine times. Uh, cash flow yield here, free cash flow yield seven seven times. So the interesting thing here is we have a market multiple expansion opportunity. If you can buy something as cheap at 9% uh, and it actually goes and trades in the future at 17 times, that's a doubling of the market multiple almost and it was very attractive to the return. You're going to see that here in a second. So I'm, I'm buying the stock as much stock as I want at 30. I think out long term $55 as a price target. So here we go. I buy the stock at 30 bucks. I get my stream of cash flow. They're holding debt constant here. They're not buying down debt. They're just divoting all the cash out that they have been producing. And I get a 14 times annual IRR or a 2.6 times Uh, mark a cash on cash return for this stock. Okay, so after this video goes public, uh, six months from now you come back and you say, well, what is the stock currently trading at? Behind me, if it's trading at $30 a share or higher, I think it's less interesting. If it falls below, I think it really starts getting attractive, especially if we continue to see market multiple compression on this stock. Okay, the last thing I want to say is that if the market multiple should fall, again, if they have to cut the dividend because they really can't afford to buy back shares, pay dividend, and pay off the debt service. So let's just say this market multiple comes back down to 10 uh, That means the stock price is 30 bucks, and it's, it's, it's properly priced. And the IRR in this case would probably be a whole lot less. Let's just check. Let's do, let's set the dollar price. Yeah, so then you're at a 9%. yield. I think this stock here has some risk to it. Um, Let's review the five key attributes and talk through it. Number one, top line revenue growth. No, it's not growing. Number two, EBITDA. Earnings is not growing. Number three, strong free cash flow. Yes, I'll check the box because they can currently make their full dividend. It's just all of their cash. Number four, uh, low debt no the debt is above our our metric number five is the stock well priced yes i think it's well priced for a very conservative forecast or even a market multiple compression here Um, but because revenue growth um, is not there because earnings are not there because there's a high debt um, then and because i think honestly uh, the market multiple of the stock should be a lot lower it should not be 17. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think the stock is underpriced. So, let's give it a review. Uh, I'm going to go with a bad. Yeah, I know. I think the stock has fallen a lot in the price, and the, the yield of almost 8% dividend yield is very attractive. I think, Hugh, the the rebound, the growth, long-term. I think this is purely a dividend play and that dividend is at risk if they have to pay down debt because interest rates are higher, they're going to have to pay down that debt and that means they're going to have to cut the dividend or stop the share buyback program which are risks to the stock price itself. So this is the review for VF Corporation, I hope you enjoyed it. Throw a comment down below, hit the subscribe button, really do appreciate it. Share on social media, don't forget to watch the podcast or excuse me, listen to the podcast as it comes out. Uh, I want to take a minute to remind you a couple things. One, if you look in the description, you're going to find a link to my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where you can take the cash flow course. I give you the Excel model that I just walked through and I teach you how to read an annual statement. How to pull out revenue, EBITDA, how to calculate EBITDA, how to find them out of debt how to set market multiples and, and and cash flow yields, how to forecast and how to set a price expectation for a stock that you can own you can follow on your own if you don't want to do the work or you understand it but it just it's not something you want to do I have a club that you can join. It's called the Cash Flow Club. And in the Cash Flow Club, me and a team of analysts produce cash flow one-pagers. What is a cash flow one-pager? It's basically this entire video that I just went through in one single page. And you can print these out, keep the next to you, and when stocks crash, you can look at this for reference. It gives you 10 years of financial data, just like we went through, but 10 years, not 9. It gives you a write-up. It gives you the five key attributes summarized. It gives you a forecast for EBITDA and for free cash flow and I find these very, very useful when the stock market is going sideways and things are moving fast to have something that gives me a lot of history, a lot of context at my fingertips. Cashflow Club is grow, growing. I highly recommend you check it out. You can download a free one-pager by joining the email list in the description of the video below. Really appreciate that and all the listening, listeners on the podcast, thank you very much. that has been a huge success with that launch uh, here recently. Um, my name is Cameron Stewart. This is Rational Investing where we hunt for hard cash flowing assets and try to value them. Uh, this is a very interesting stock. I really, really liked the 8% yield, the drop in price almost 70% from $100 to 30 bucks. That's very, very attractive. But I thought going through the fine-tooth comb here of the cash flow statement made me realize that all their free cash flow is going to, to, to service that dividend. And I think that prevents them from growing. And ultimately, for my portfolio, for my future, I'm looking for companies that can grow and are reasonably priced. Uh, so in that that sense, it's a, it's a bad investment in mine. Uh, Thank you for the support. Hit the subscribe button. Throw a comment down below. It really helps the algorithm. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Um, You're going to click on the videos uh, that are going to pop up for a couple more uh, discounted or um, value-based investing uh, um, videos. And I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.